Uh, today we are continuing on in our study in the book of Genesis. We've been here for quite a while and making our way through. We're up into chapter 29 today and uh, really as we work our way through Genesis, we're now really in the life story of Abraham and the continuing generations after Abraham. But as we talk about Abraham, we're really talking about God's covenant to his people and his covenant to Abraham that he would give to Abraham promises of a land, of a people, and of a blessing that through his family that all nations of the earth would be blessed. And for Jacob, the fulfillment of this is coming through the dream that we talked about last week. Do you remember the dream that he had and he saw the angels ascending into heaven, going up and down what appeared to be a ladder for him? And in the midst of that dream, the covenant, the promise was reiterated in Genesis chapter 28, 14. Let me read that for you again. God said to him in his dream, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. So God proclaimed to Jacob, I've been with Abraham, I've been with Isaac, and now Jacob, the covenant, the promise is coming to you as well. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And so that reiteration of this covenant promise of God, that through Abraham is going to come this great blessing to all of the earth, and that the blessing is going to be upon Jacob and through Jacob to all people. And Dwayne last week in one line just said that people are blessed in order to be a blessing. This blessing to Abraham and his offspring is not just because of who they are and God kind of saying, oh, like, you are such a special group of people that I'm going to lift you up. He's saying, no, I am using a people, I am blessing a people so that all the earth, that all mankind will ultimately be blessed. And Jacob, this is what's coming to you. The mission, your purpose is way larger than just you and your family. And so as we pick up the tale today, Jacob has now entered into his second seven years of working for Laban. If you remember that he worked seven years in order to pay the dowry for his wife. Rachel was going to be his new bride, but there was something that happened during the wedding night, and it ended up that Leah was suddenly his wife, that he was tricked into uh, marrying the firstborn daughter instead of the secondborn daughter. And now he's into the second seven years of paying the dowry in order to have uh, Rachel become his wife. And we're going to pick up that story, and I'm going to read this entire story for you this morning, beginning in Genesis 29, verse 31. You can follow along the screen or open your Bibles. We're going to be going back to this a lot. So I just thought we'll get it all in our mind's eye as we begin. And so we begin at 31. It says this, When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. 
So she named him Judah. And then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her and said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. And Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. And Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped giving children, she took her maidservant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. The woman will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now, during the wheat harvest, Reuben went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel said. He can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. And then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my maidservant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. And sometime later she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. And then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph and said, May the Lord add to me another son. Heavenly Father, as we read passages like this, we pray that your spirit would open the eyes of our heart and enlighten us, that we might understand your grace and your blessing that is told through stories like this that at times seem so strange to our our ears in this century and this time. And Lord, I just pray that it would be your spirit who guides and directs us now. In Christ we pray. Amen. That's a long passage to listen to, and it seems very repetitive, kind of the same things going on over and over again. But I trust as you were reading it that just listening to kind of a whole story like that, that you do start to feel like that family was a mess. (laughs) Man, they, like, talk about bizarre and dysfunctional, especially by kind of our Western standards, but even for the standards of their day, this family was rife with issues. 
I mean, the whole thing of polygamy and a polygamous marriage, we read Old Testament and we kind of see that coming up and up again, but it was not God's ideal. It was not God's plan for uh, polygamous relationships with Adam and Eve back in the garden. When God established marriage, he set up the, the model of monogamous marriage, that there's a man and a woman come together. And in that relationship, how they are to grow and develop and to, to be one together. And yet we see the patriarchs and later we'll see the kings falling into this pattern of polygamous relationships. And whenever you see it, you see disaster follows as far as the family goes or as far as the marriage goes. And Jacob's family is one of those families. He was in this mess. Now, you might say, well, Jacob was tricked into it, though. You know, that whole thing with Leah coming into them in the darkness of night, and he thought it was Rachel, and he slept with Leah, and, you know, what was the guy supposed to do? Well, he probably had some options. But you never read of Jacob kind of saying, okay, I'm going to do something else. No, his eyes were fixed on Rachel. He said, Rachel's really the one I want. And so he kind of puts Leah aside and says, I'm going to work another seven years and makes that agreement. And Laban gives him Rachel and he takes her as his wife. Remember, there's a week period in there where it's just Leah and, and, uh, and Jacob. But then shortly after that week, he also takes Rachel. So there's two women living with him as wife. One, Leah, who he doesn't love. Leah, who was you know, chosen for him by trickery. And Rachel, though, who he had eyes for and a heart for. Can you see problems happening there? Can you sense tension about to develop within this family? And you see it all boil out in this whole situation of them giving birth. Now, they giving birth to this nation, the nation of Israel as it begins, and as it begins to unfold. And as you think about how big of a mess this is, it's also important to note that God is there. That God is in the midst of this. The promise that he made to Jacob in the dream with, I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you there in the midst of all that is to follow. This is my covenant with you and I will fulfill it. And even though Jacob takes matters into his own hands and his wives begin to take matters in their own hand, they're all controlling, there's all some deceptiveness and deviousness about them, God says, I will be with you. And even in this passage, you can see God in the midst of it. It's how it begins, it's how it ends. If you look at verse 29, and, uh, or chapter 29, verse 21, it says that when the Lord sees that Leah is not loved, he enables her to conceive. God moves into the situation with Leah. But Rachel remained childless or barren. See, God is there. And God is saying, I will bring good. I will bring my purposes out of this. And Leah, the unloved one, God says, I will bless her. And then at the very end, in the same kind of language, found in chapter 30, verse 22, you read this, that God remembers Rachel and in the same language, enables her to conceive. So at the beginning, he enables Leah to conceive, and then he enables Rachel. See, God is in this, and we can't understand it entirely, but he is guiding his people in his ways. And it's through their stumbling, it's through their tumultuous, tension-filled relationships that these matriarchs of Israel, Leah and Rachel, 
are going to learn what humility and grace is even through the giving birth and naming of all these children that are become the nation of Israel down the road. And God walks with them and teaches them and blesses them in the midst of it. And the larger picture of this chapter is really about how the nation is going to expand. So far, you know, God promised to Abraham, look to the stars, your, your, you know, your generations, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, like the sand on the sea, like the dust on the earth. And they have Isaac. And then to Isaac, he makes the same promise. And Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And you think, this is a pretty small stream getting started for such a great nation. But now through Jacob, there comes this kind of the stream just widens and begins to flow. And you see the beginning of the nation that's going to happen. But it comes through this whole account and the story of how all these children are born. And I've entitled this, It's the Birth Wars. The birth wars are what's happening, and there's three rounds that take place. In this corner, you have Leah. Leah, the firstborn of Laban, the oldest child. Weak-eyed, she is described as. We're not entirely sure what that means, but there was something about her that made her less attractive than Rachel. And it wasn't that she was you know, totally that different than Rachel, because Jacob mistook her for Rachel in the night. But there was that about her that just set her apart as not as beautiful. And she was not as handsome, but she was cunning. She took part in the deception. And she was the not-loved wife of Judah, although she is the first, not of Judah, of Jacob, although she is the first wife of Jacob. She is in this corner. In this corner, you have Rachel, the younger sister, beautiful, and the first choice of Jacob. It was love at first sight for him. And she, though, even though it was first sight love, she is the second wife of Jacob. But although she is second, she seems to have the power in this household. Jacob loves her, which gives her an elevated status. And so it's a topsy-turvy set of tents that Jacob is overseeing. These two women within it, and as children start to come, the children are used in this battle that is between these two women as they begin to learn what God has intended for them. Each one looking to get the upper hand over each other and to get Jacob's ultimate favor. Jacob is the one that they are pinning all of their hopes on as this story begins. As I think about that, I'm like, have they not heard about his story? <laughs> like, is this the guy you want to pin your hopes on? This deceiver? This liar? But there was about him, they, he was their husband. But at the heart of this battle is each one wanting what ultimately the other has. Leah wants the love of Jacob. But it's reserved for Rachel. Rachel wants what Leah has. Leah has the first place. Rachel wants to attain to that, and that's going to come through children. It'll come through prestige, through that legacy that she creates. But for now, she's beginning to feel meaningless and out of control, and very quickly that story develops. And so really that's what's happening in this telling of what goes on. It's a carefully crafted passage with kind of a repetitive 
uh, model that goes on with the naming of all these different children. And we'll look at that as we go through. So round one begins this way. In chapter 29, the Lord enables Leah to conceive and son number one is born, Reuben. And here's where you begin to note the pattern each child is, is introduced. There is a name given to the child and each name has a meaning attached to it. Each name has a, a meaning inherent to it in, the, uh, in Hebrew. And so people would hear the name, but also there is a comment made by the mother, which is really a play on words. It kind of takes the meaning of their son's name, but plays it out in applying it to their heart situation. And it gives us a glimpse into the heart and the mindset of each of these women. So son number one, you have Reuben is born. And in the midst of this, Jacob seems strangely silent. You know, he's just a, a partner on the side, obviously part of the creation of all these kids, but really not very active in what takes place. So son number one is born, Reuben, and his name literally means, look, a son. Wouldn't you like to go through life with that name? Hey, look, a son. Yeah, that's me, <laughs> right? But it's identifying, and it's a declaration. And for Leah, what was so important about this is, what she says is, the Lord has heard me. The Lord has heard me. And Leah, as, as she says that, one notice in Leah's comment, she talks about the Lord. And in our English Bibles, that's that small case Lord. Small case Lord representing Yahweh, God of covenant, of revelation. God who has personally become involved in covenant making with his people. Leah has an understanding that this is the God whom she's dealing with. God of covenant, God of relationship. And she says, Lord, you've heard me. You've granted me children. Look, it's a son. And in hearing me, Lord, now surely Jacob is going to love me. You know, I've got a promised son here. And Lord, this is going to change the heart of my husband toward me. She's revealing her heart's longing. Oh, that she would know a love which has been denied her all this time. Next, son number two arrives. It's interesting, we're not given any time pattern through this whole story. The only time reference we have is the seven years that Jacob is working for Laban to pay off the rest of the dowry. And at the end of the chapter, uh, we move into uh, Jacob saying to Laban, it's time for us to go. So there's about seven years, it might be a little longer than that, that all these children are being born in various times and and ways to their mothers. So soon after, it's got to be at least nine months later, <laughs> but soon after, Simeon arrives. Son number two, Simeon. And his name literally means the one who hears. So Simeon, as she looks at, at this baby is born, she says, here is one who signifies that I am being heard. Very similar to Reuben, but it's the promise now it's signifying that this is bringing uh, uh, the, the prayer life of Leah into focus. She's saying, Simeon being born to me, God is listening to my prayers. You see a woman who's been actively working with God in this time frame. I'm giving him, giving Jacob now what he wants, and surely our hearts will become one. 
surely now our hearts would be attached or, or would be fulfilled together, still longing for that love coming from her husband. Soon after that, son number three arrives, and the name given to him is Levi, which literally means attached. In our, obviously in English, these all don't make the same kind of sense, but you listen to the comment that she makes about, um, about this, and she says, at last my husband will be attached to me. What's interesting to note, she's left the theme of love. It's almost as though there is something happening within Leah. Sons one and two have not changed Jacob's hearts toward her. Sons one and two, she was expecting this turning of Jacob towards her in love now. But it would seem with son number three, she's saying, at least, at least my husband will be attached to me. We have three children together. Her hope is somewhat waning that, that Jacob and her desire for him is going to fulfill her. But she's hoping at least there would be this sense of attachment. But it doesn't seem to come. And with son number four, when he arrives, she looks at this son, and there seems to be a change in her understanding of her relationship with Jacob, but more her relationship with Yahweh, with God. For when Judah is born, she says, I will name him praise. Because that's what Judah means. I will name him praise. And I will praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord. I will recognize the blessings in my life that are coming from God. She's not now looking to Jacob to fulfill her. She's not looking to Jacob to somehow be the one and only in her life, she's saying, no, God can be this for me. And with Judah's birth, there is this kind of the phase one of this whole birth cycle has stopped, and there's a change that takes place in Leah. It would seem that her heart has got the right focus. Her heart has been changed in somehow understanding her place and understanding her place before God and in the blessings that he desires to bring upon the nations. And that's round one. And the results of round one is Leah leads four to nothing. <laughs> round one is totally about Leah. She has totally dominated in this birth cycle. Right? I mean, for anybody keeping track, it's not hard to see that Rachel isn't even on the board yet. And it says at the end of this round that she stopped having children. We're not, it, we aren't told why. Some would say that Rachel had had enough, and as the head of the household, later on she seems to control kind of household matters, even to the point of where Jacob is sleeping. Was it that she put her foot down and said, enough? <laughs> no more. Or is it just that in the course of time, Leah stopped having children for a while? Is it that the Lord brought on this hiatus? We're not told that. For whatever reason, though, after round one, that Leah stops having children. And so a new round needs to begin. And in round two, Rachel rings the bell. She rings the bell by getting so jealous of her sister 
and so frustrated by what is taking place would look a son and I'm being heard and praise God that she comes to Jacob and says, Jacob, give me children or I will die. You can just hear the angst in her voice as she comes to Jacob one day, grabs him when he gets home off the, you know, comes in hot and sweaty from the fields and give me children or I'll die. And he's like, whoa, like right now? Like, what's going on? And Jacob, in response, says, and he gets angry about this because it must have been an ongoing conversation between them. He says, are you putting me in the place of God? I mean, she's blaming Jacob that they're not having children. Jacob doesn't seem to have a problem having children. Leah's had four. Right? But Rachel is looking for a, for a solution. And she's demanding of him children. And she's saying that I'm losing this battle and I am being, I am being depressed and I'm, being, I'm in despair and I'm being despised by the family. You see, being barren is an awful thing. Being childless for anyone who's having wanting to have children, it's a terrible emotional burden to carry. But in her day and in this family situation, it's multiplied because it is seen as being under a curse. People would be looking at her and going, whoa, there's obviously Rachel's carrying some great sin. Rachel has some great sickness against her that she can't have children. And all of this weighs on her. And so she says, give me children or I will die. And Jacob says, I can't. So Rachel says, well, then let's come up with a different solution. And she says, for round two of having the children, take Bilhah, my servant. Take Bilhah. And we've heard this story before, haven't we? And these never really seem to turn out well. But it was an acceptable solution that Bilhah becomes this surrogate for Rachel. And so Jacob takes Bilhah and they go and they have children. And so Bilhah gives Rachel two more sons. The first one is Dan. So as Dan is born, Rachel says, I'm going to name him Dan because it literally means vindication. And in that moment, do you hear what she says? She says, God has, or that not God has, I am vindicated. And you hear her selfish motives coming through. She is now seeing results. She will come out on top. She is now having children that she is bringing into by adoption. I am being vindicated. And then there's another son, Naphtali. Naphtali literally means struggle. My struggle. She's saying, I have this great struggle with my sister. I'm in a battle with her. And as she's saying, Naphtali is a struggle. She's really saying, and it's my victory. See, I now have children. I'm now back in the game. I'm in the competition. And when Leah sees what's happening, she says, well, if that's how we can play, I'm going to take now my servant, Zilpah. And she goes to Jacob and says, take Zilpah and have children through her for me. And so Zilpah has two children. Zilpah has Gad, and Gad's name literally means good fortune. And then she has Asher, which means happy. And you hear in this language that Leah is saying, 
things are going well. She is content. She says, other people will be happy with me. Look at the children that are gathering around me. And it's not necessarily directed against Rachel, but she's feeling like things are looking up for her. Prosperity and happiness are hers. And she even says others are going to join her in this happiness. Where Rachel is feeling that rejection and sort of being despised because she isn't having children, Leah is seeing these additions now as just adding to her happiness and the good fortune and the good things that are happening to her in her life. And so round two really comes out as a tie. Two children each through the surrogate mothers. And it really accomplishes very little except Jacob now has eight sons. <laughs> it's a lot for him to be handling. So he's up to eight. Round two ends that way. And Leah is finding a contentment and a happiness. But Rachel is still in this despair in the sense that she's being ground down and is losing. And so round three comes and it begins in this unusual way and really heightens the desperation, shows how desperate Rachel has become. It's the mandrake affair. Mandrakes are a plant that grow in that area of the world. And in that time, and it almost had a mystical sense to it that the mandrake, it's a, I saw a little picture of it. It's got a little purple flower and kind of gets a yellow fruit on it. And those, that fruit was understood to basically have fertility benefits. And really almost in a mystical way and how it was used. So that's the finding of these mandrakes. It was understood to help in fertility. Reuben, the young child now, goes out and he's in the field and he finds some mandrakes and he brings them home. Not sure if he knew what they were, but when they get home, everybody understands, whoa, these are mandrakes. These are an important find and rare. And so he brings them home to Leah and Rachel sees them arrive. And as Rachel sees them, she says, that's what I need. Perhaps that's the help for me. And it's interesting that at this moment, that in spite of all the tension in the family, she basically says, could I please have some of your son's mandrakes? You know, nice about it. No tension at this point. Doesn't say, Leah, you don't need them, obviously. <laughs> could I please have some of these? But Leah sees right through it. And she says, what? Isn't it enough that you took my husband? It's kind of an ironic statement. Because, I mean, she's the one who's, who went in the dark of the night and, you know, had sexual relationships with this groom that was expecting another bride. But you see, at this point, she's saying, no, you took my husband. He, I was first. But I'm in second place now. Isn't it enough that you took my husband? husband. You also want to take the mandrakes. You want to somehow now propagate and you want to become fertile. Isn't it enough? Let me have what I have. But somehow in the course of that conversation they strike a deal. And Rachel says, well if you give me the mandrakes I'll let you sleep with Jacob. And you hear the desperation in that? reminiscent of the selling of the birthright to Esau. You know, selling that which is not meant to be sold. You see how outlandish this is when 
in the wording that Leah uses when Jacob shows up from the fields that day. You know, how totally backward all this becomes. Because she goes to Jacob and says, Jacob, I'm glad you're back. I've hired you for the night. Whoa. It's a little creepy, isn't it? A wife coming to a husband, I've hired you for the night? Like, I mean, that's what's going on in this family. And the awkwardness of this, but the desperation of Rachel saying, all right, I am going to give over that in order that I can get hold of these mandrakes. So round three is on. And Rachel says, I've got my mandrakes and I'm, I'm ready to go. But it backfires. Leah has two more sons. As they're born, the first that's born is Issachar. Thank you for reminding me. I couldn't read my notes. <laughs> first is born Issachar. Issachar means God has rewarded me. To hear Leah, there's a contentment in her as each son is born now. There's an understanding of that, that God is somehow walking and working with her through all of this. God has rewarded me. Zebulun is the next son. Honor. I will be honored by my husband. So the expectation that now, after all these children being born, nine children for Jacob, two by seven by natural means too by her surrogate Zilpah. That includes also Dinah who gets tacked on there as the daughter. You know, God's rewarding me. God will honor me. At the end of all this, Rachel, she's been pounded. She's been humiliated in this whole venture. And I would suggest to you that she's been humbled to the place of prayer. She has schemed, she has manipulated, she's controlled, she's done all that she could to become number one in the house, to have Jacob's respect, to, to have honor and all of this, and has been denied it all. And it seems that she is broken and cries out to the Lord. Because it's at this point that you read, and then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. She came back to a place of prayer. It's not mentioned before that. She's humbled and broken to a place where she says, only God can sort this out. And Joseph is born. Joseph is born. It's an interesting name because literally it may, means may he add to me. With Joseph's birth, he's saying, she says, and may the Lord add to me. She, she's anticipating, would there be other children? But it's more than just that. May the Lord add to my life in a way that my life becomes the meaning and has the blessing that is anticipated. Joseph is born. Leah's kind of round one while well, we should finish the battles in the birth wars. A truce is declared at the end of this one. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Leah has won the war. Nine kids to Rachel's one naturally, two by surrogate. But it doesn't matter now. It doesn't matter. The nation has been established. What's this chapter all about? I see at least three great truths that come through it. 
There's the fulfilling of God's promises and his plans. That God has a way. Once God has made covenant and promises, he will find a way using the people that, that he has chosen and he has called out. They may need to be shaped. They may, may need to be helped along. It's good news in my life. It's good news for me that the promises and the plans that God has made in my life and has for me that that he's willing to put up with all the mess and continue to work it through and work it out with me. Going along with that, though, I think the second great truth is there's a humbling that's always needed in God's people. If you're going to know God's walking and working with you, you need to understand that he needs a humble group of people. And then the third thing is the preeminence of grace. That all of this is by God's grace and his blessing. Jesse, you and the team can come on back up as we wrap up here. In these three great truths, you understand God's promises and his plan are fulfilled. And a nation is being born. I mean, think about Leah. Leah is the discarded one. She's the unloved one. She's the unlikely one. And yet she's the one that has Levi. What's Levi? Levi is the, the ancestor. He's the, it's through Levi that Moses and Aaron come. The whole priestly line begins. And more important, it's through who Judah comes. The royal line. David. And more importantly, Messiah. Jesus is born through Judah's line. From Leah. Leah is in the Messiah's line. Set aside by others, but used by God. God is always at work. But it's also through Joseph. So kind of round one ended with Levi and Judah being born. Round three ends with Joseph being born. What's Joseph's role? Joseph saves the rest of them. Joseph becomes the deliverer for all in Egypt. But this is all through the humbling of God's people. One author has written this about this chapter. Without realizing the significance of their bearing these children without wisdom in their dealings with one another, the members of the family struggled against one another for affection and recognition. And then this is the key point. What could have been a rich experience in God's blessing was greatly tarnished by the tensions that divided the family, a division that remained in the tribes through the divided monarchy. They were never really free from this tarnished beginning. And the point of this author is, and they missed the blessings. They missed taking part in what God was trying to accomplish by their, by their tensions and by their futility of trying to be in control. But that's why the preeminence of grace is such the great story of this. Our learning to trust God is a lifetime of experience. But if we're going to know his grace, we need to learn what it is to walk with him in obedience, to walk with him in repentance, to walk with Jesus Christ in a way each day that we know his presence with us and his gentle guiding direction and correction in our lives. See, I want to be in control, but every day I need to say, Jesus, I need you to be in control because I mess it up too easily. Help me and guide me. We're going to sing, and then we're going to pray together a little bit in response to this. Jesse, lead us.